0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. It is time, once again, my friends, for a Tech Stuff classic episode. This episode published October 7th, 2013. I call it The Prodigy story. Yeah, we're going to talk about online service providers, y'all. So let's sit back and listen to this classic episode. Uh, Ages ago, Chris and I did an episode about online service providers, but this time we want to specifically look at Prodigy, partly because it was one of the earliest. In fact, depending upon whom you ask, the earliest online service provider. Now, online service providers are different from Internet service providers. Right. So... I'm going to blow your minds out there, kids. So you youngins out there, there was a time when we did not all have access to the Internet. It was a terrifying time. Dinosaurs roamed the Earth. Occasionally you would go camping and an enormous guy in a hockey mask would chase you around. The 80s were tough, y'all.
1: I I actually do remember that time dimly. I mean, I I was, you know... Not necessarily eating all solid food yet, and I could barely read. But I do, in fact, recall a time before the internet.
0: Well, I grew up in that time, and uh, I bear the scars to this day. Also, I don't read that much currently. <laughs> but at any rate, no, we're we're talking about a time where uh, the the computer revolution had really taken hold. The personal computers had already become uh, a a rising trend. It still was kind of a rarity to find someone who owned a personal computer. It wasn't like there were PCs everywhere.
1: Certainly not, no.
0: But they were certainly getting very popular in the mid-80s, and more and more people were, were adopting them as the price was becoming more affordable for the average person. You know, household.
1: Oh, rather than for hobbyists only. Right, right.
0: So those, those bleeding edge technology adopters who somehow have the jobs that allow them to, to indulge their, uh, obsession with technology, they had already gone through the first wave and now it was trickling down to everybody else.
1: Oh, right. We're, we're talking about the kind of the 286 sort of days is when yeah. prodigy started, started
0: picking yeah. up. So uh, during those times, your computers, you know, The early, early computers were really, especially for personal computers, were just self-contained devices, right? It was whatever you, software you had to run on that machine, and that was pretty much it.
1: Which uh, you would put on the machine with fancy, fancy uh, five-and-a-quarter-inch floppy disks.
0: Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't necessarily even have a hard drive. You might just run it directly from the disk. So, in other words, once that disk was popped out, that was it. You didn't have anything. That program on it yeah, anymore. Yeah, right. you, you just had your basic operating system, although you might not even call it that. Um, anyway... Eventually, you start seeing things like modems, where you could do things like connect to a local bulletin board system or BBS. This was uh usually uh, something that was hyper local, as in something that would might be run in the same city that you live in, because uh, in order to connect to most BBSs, you had to dial a specific number, and usually it was a lo- it was a you a know,
1: local number, a local right.
0: number, yeah, because you could dial into a BBS that's run in a state, you know. 20 states away.
1: But long distance charges at the time were also such that, that, that it would have been incredibly cost prohibitive.
0: Yeah. Anyone, any kid who experimented with uh, connecting to BBSs might find out rapidly from his parents or her parents that, uh, it was not the best idea to do that without parental, uh, agreement beforehand because you could rack up huge bills. I mean, this is the era where long distance charges were a real thing. I know that a lot of people today aren't even they don't. That's not something they even think about, because in most cases, you don't have a long distance charge anymore.
1: About once a month, I marvel at the incredible present and the fact that I can call people all over the country without having any
0: without worrying about, oh, you know, I we've talked for five minutes. This is going to cost me 20 bucks or whatever. Uh, And and they have not said anything of value. So so (laughs) at any rate, at this time, that was pretty much it. And then they're became this idea of the online service provider, a way for companies to create services that would open up brand new opportunities for consumers. And it was before the Internet had rolled out to being something that the general public could access. So the-
1: sure. but But, you know, people were looking for a way to provide service to, you know, to a consumers who wanted to communicate and be to companies who wanted to sell more stuff, give give companies an outlet to sell more stuff.
0: Right. So this was uh, this was the idea. Like instead of instead of the Internet, think of the Internet. It's it's the network of networks, right? It's all these different computers that are connected together and lots of different types of communication goes across the Internet from email to file transfers to Web traffic. All of that stuff is going on across the Internet. An online service provider is more like a very small network. It's not a network of networks. It is a network in which you use your computer to dial into a host computer, and the host computer serves up all the information on it that it has. So in other words, instead of having access to everything in the world, you just have access to whatever the host computer has on it. Uh, and online service providers did this in different ways. So let's talk specifically about Prodigy. To talk about how it came to be, you have to look back at 1984. So 1984, that's when a couple of tiny companies, uh, IBM was one of them, uh, Sears was another, and CBS was a third, formed a joint venture they called Trintex. Now, this TrinTech's venture was uh, specifically meant to provide something called Videotex services. And you might all wonder what the heck Videotex is, because it's not a term that you see today, really. But this was a technology that would allow you to connect a terminal. So it could be a computer or it could just be a very specific terminal made for this purpose, or even a television with, with special equipment. Oh, with an equipment. adapter, right? Yep. You have, so you have one of these things that connect to a phone line, and then can con- call into a centralized computer to get, uh, content that way. Now, the, this is sort of a predecessor to the kind of modems that we would see, uh, later on. Although at this time in the, in the early eighties, a modem was something that very few people had. It was certainly something that was used in commercial purposes. You had right. companies using it, like IBM certainly had plenty of modems, but your average, Computer owner did not have a modem at this time. They, cert- they also were not part of a standard computer. Like there was a time where you would get an internal modem, uh, like a dial up modem, and you would just plug a, a phone cord into the back of your computer and from that to the uh, outlet in your wall. Before that, you had external modems that would connect to a port in your computer and then you would connect your telephone connection to the external modem, that's the kind I had for right. the longest oh, time. Oh, sure,
1: of course, yeah. I, I do also want to mention this is the same year that um, IBM introduced the portable PC weighing a mere 30 pounds, or what's that, like 14 kilos? Yeah, so. something
0: like that. So you're talking about uh, portable depending upon your upper body strength.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, so, so that was that was kind of the, 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 the life of the times. Uh, um, the entire video text thing was doing a little bit better in Europe, there were a bunch of countries that that already had something like this, but it was really the first time this whole Trintex thing was really the first time that it had been rolled out for commercial use, or United, for, for customer use. Yeah, for, in the United
0: States. Yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, in fact, it, the, the, the concentration in Europe would mean that uh, the, at companies like Prodigy in America Online would end up sort of foregoing uh, any kind of uh, penetration attempts in Europe because it was already it was so already saturated.
1: There. Right. right. Um, and CBS had did a did a trial of Videotex in eighty three with AT and T in about two hundred households somewhere in New Jersey just to see how much interest there would be, and there was a lot. So yeah. that is why CBS was involved. Sears was, you know, if, if you're saying why was Sears and Robuck involved in this Internet venture, it's because uh, Sears had the complex billing system and the customer base, like the mail order customer base.
0: Sure. Yeah. The Sears catalog is like a a legacy when it comes to, to retail. Not only that, but Sears itself has had a long history in being involved in electronics. In fact, for a while, if you wanted to buy a computer that you would either go to a very specialized computer store, or you would go to a Sears right, and you would buy right. your computer there.
1: Yeah, and IBM, actually in contemporary literature, people were talking about IBM being the most surprising company of the three, which doesn't make any sense to me, but but their reasoning behind calling it that was that they had been really only hardware with mm. a tiny bit of software right. involved up until then. and. So
0: now they're trying to create an infrastructure that would right. essentially be a lot of software. But so. So 1984, this partnership is founded, but uh, it wasn't all smooth sailing. They did some, you know, some pilot testing. And and in general, it just looked like it wasn't really catching on. It might have been ahead of its time in the United States or may have just been the execution that didn't match people's expectations. At any rate, it didn't get adopted as quickly as all three parties were hoping. And one of those three parties, CBS, Decided to say, see you later, alligators, and drop out of the partnership.
1: Yeah. That was in that was in 86, did you say? Yeah. yeah. And so then in 88, um, Sears and IBM decided to stick with it.
0: Yeah, they doubled down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they, they invested uh, $450 million in startup.
0: Yeah. So which th- is that, that was in 88. So if we adjust for inflation, that's what?
1: $860 million? That's a lot of money. That's so many dollars. Yeah.
0: So huge, huge investment here. And... Uh, That's when they actually created the company that's called Prodigy Services Company. Now, don't get too used to that name, because one of the things we can talk about with Prodigy and we will talk about is the fact that their name changes every few years.
1: Yeah, it usually retains the term Prodigy. Right. That's about it. But that's it.
0: Yeah. So 1988, Prodigy Services Company uh, is formed to oversee the Trintex uh, technology and by June of 1988, the entire project changed its name to Prodigy. So that means they no longer talked about Trintex. Trintex was a thing of the past. It was now rolled into Prodigy. And that launched in 88, and it became the world's first consumer-based online service provider. Uh, now, at the time, IBM had made an estimate. They looked at all the households in the United States And they estimated how many households out there would have computers that would actually be sophisticated enough to run the Prodigy software. And when I say sophisticated enough, it's not that the Prodigy software was this mind-bending, amazing-looking software. You, well, fact, it was
1: it was a visual interface which was a, which was it, it a was, new thing. Yeah,
0: it was a huge improvement over local BBSs that were all text-based, right? Mm-hmm, right. So there were there were graphics involved, but they were very simple graphics and uh, we'll try to in fact, Lauren found a great commercial just before the podcast that she shared with us. So we'll we'll try and put that up on the Facebook page Absolutely. and link it to Twitter as well so that you guys can see what Prodigy looked like when it launched, because the commercial actually comes from this era.
1: Yeah, but, you know, in 88, 386 machines were just coming out. Um, they had several megs of RAM, yeah, which was crazy. big and new, and 3.5-inch and floppies were blowing people's minds.
0: Right, yeah. And so IBM looks at all these households, says 5 million homes, and the entire United States are probably capable of running Prodigy software. They they probably have computers that can do this. So, five million—that's our target audience. We want to hit those five million uh, folks. Um, uh, yeah, that was that turned out to be an ambitious target. Uh, in fact, five million ends up being ambitious. Spoiler alert: through, through the, the entire, entire life yeah. of Prodigy.
1: Um,
0: yeah, but we'll we'll get into that as we go further. So the first cities that received the service were. Uh, let's see, there was San Francisco, there was Hartford, Connecticut, and there was some other city.
1: Atlanta.
0: Huzzah! For once, Atlanta gets something first. Um, so yeah, it, it ended along up along
1: with technological innovator Hartford, Connecticut. I
0: well, you know, don't make fun of Hartford, Connecticut. Those people will. Scold you. At any rate, uh, yeah. So Atlanta, San Francisco, and Hartford are the three cities that get it first. And I, I honestly don't know why those three cities were the ones chosen. Perhaps the the telecommunications infrastructure was just uh, uh, the best in those three for the, for the services of Prodigy.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so it, the, the the startup package for getting this service was a little bit complex because, like Jonathan was saying earlier. People didn't have modems. They certainly didn't come in computers at the time. Right. Um, it was a add-on sort of thing. So the original kit cost a hundred and forty-nine dollars and ninety-five cents. Yeah. To include that that modem, the software, and three months of initial service. Three months of service. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could also hypothetically, if you happened to have a modem, buy just the software for 95
0: Right, and um, then uh, how much was uh, service per month?
1: With with a yearly subscription, it was $9.95 a month, and month to month, it was twelve ninety
0: five. So there you go, nine dollars and ninety five cents per month if you if you signed up for a full year, or twelve ninety five per month if you were going month to month basis. Uh, and uh, and so they figured that with that pricing, uh, with that subscription model, if they got enough people to subscribe, that would be uh, an ongoing source of revenue. Right. It's the same sort of model that we see with things like uh, pay-to-play um, uh, MMORPGs, you know. Uh, which, you know, now we're seeing more and more of those move away from that model and go to free to play and then pay to access certain types of, uh, content. Sure. So.
1: Nonetheless, the month to month subscription fee was a change up at the time. I think that any, anyone else who was in the business and maybe cuz maybe AOL was starting at the same time. It was starting
0: time. around the same time, yeah.
1: And uh, most other services that that would be beginning around that time were using um, pay per usage yes. like per, per the minute or per per hour. The data yeah. set.
0: Right, you you didn't have you didn't have that many people offering or that many companies I should say offering a a monthly fee for their mm-hmm. service. It was almost always uh, you know, maybe you get the first half hour of content at one amount and then above that it would be more because another limitation on some of these early online service providers was that they only had so many uh, connections that they can make at a single time within a particular region. So if you're, if you have a, a phone number that you're supposed to call with your computer, it may be that the computer can handle, say, 100 connections, and beyond that, it can't handle more than that.
1: And so, so allowing people continual access was potentially dangerous to your customer base because, yeah, you yeah, because
0: everyone would say, like, "Well, I got your software, but I can never connect." Right. So uh, it's just so, busy
1: signals for years. Right.
0: Right. So, but now bigger busy companies,
1: <laughs> the next generation is never going to have those.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sorry.
1: Okay. Anyway, but uh, yeah. But but yeah. So, so, so uh,
0: the, the larger companies at this time could actually handle. Lots of phone calls. Your local BBSs. I mean, I remember this era where I would call into a local BBS, and there would be maybe five lines. And if you called when it, those five lines were in operation, you just had to wait and try and call again, like in a half hour or an hour or every ten seconds if you were someone like me. But at any rate, that's you know this was this was a step up above those local BBSs, a a big step up, not just a tiny little incremental step.
1: But, uh, But Prodigy was, in fact, still regionally operated. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, they were advertising in lots of other cities that they were planning on expanding out to.
0: Yeah. In fact, there was a pretty extensive advertising campaign, including that fantastic commercial you showed me before the episode, Lauren.
1: Well, that one is from all the way in 1990, clearly. Wow. The distant yeah, so, future. so we're
0: talking, yeah, 1990, Prodigy's story is so different. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it, they, they, they were really trying to drive uh adoption of this because it was a brand new thing you know this is like i said this is before people for the most part had any knowledge whatsoever of the internet mm-hmm. you know anyone who knew about the internet was working on the internet like building the internet and so um, yeah so
1: talking to people about you know posting to bbss or doing online shopping or anything like that or you know looking at stocks or weather online people were like say what yeah yeah this is on this, my computer
0: right <laughs> the thing that i use to play a game on and occasionally try and and create a, a little program that says Hello World. Um, yeah, it's it was a, a big change, a huge change as far as computer use goes. It was really opening up the gates to the potential for computers. And then on top of that, we then saw by the end of 88, so all of this is happening in 88, this is a huge year for Prodigy, right? Uh, it's their launch year. By the end of 88, they have... Extended their service to three more cities, particularly. Uh, actually, I think it's four cities. I just wrote down three, but the cities in California, and those included Los Angeles, San Diego, Sacramento, and I think Santa Barbara was also one. I just didn't write it in my notes. Uh, and so you had this 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 cool system. Uh, arguably cool, I guess. For me, it was cool. I I was an early prodigy user because I live in Atlanta, uh, and they did have their rivals. Not just uh, what would become American on, America Online, not American, but America Online, uh, but also Compuserve, Mindspring, Earthlink. These are all. They came on the scene at different times, but they would all become rivals. Mm-hmm. Now, the way this would work. Generally speaking, is that when you would use your computer to call into whatever computer was in charge of your region, that computer could then serve up all the information that was uh, available on it. And we'll talk more about the kind of services that Prodigy offered toward the end of the podcast. But this also includes, you know, pretty basic stuff like news items, financial stuff uh, bulletin boards where you can actually leave messages and retrieve messages. There was even an email, although originally that email would only allow you to send messages to other people on the Prodigy service. Right. Um, and you could get all that information. But although uh, early ads talked about it being updated throughout the day, originally the way these services worked is that the, the regional computer would – connect back to headquarters to a master computer once a day, once a day. yeah. once every 24 hours, they would get new content. So then that way, when you log on the next day, you would get new news articles, new financial reports, that kind of thing. But it would stay like that all day long. It wouldn't get updated throughout the day because, again, these were all regional computers that were only intermittently connecting with a master computer. It wasn't like a, a, a truly integrated network at this point. So this was definitely a different kind of approach than what we see today, Uh, by 89, the estimate that IBM had made had uh, increased. No longer did they think that there were five million homes out there that could run prodigy software. Now they believed there were nine million homes. So that shows that the adoption of the personal computer and not just personal computers, but more sophisticated personal computers was on the rise. Right. Uh, This still is before the true explosion in personal computers. I mean, there was a time, I think we even mentioned it in one of our podcasts, where Bill Gates had kind of projected out how many computers he thought were going to be adopted. And it turned out it was like a 70 percent, 70 percent fewer than what actually happened.
1: Yeah, it, no no one could predict it. Um, the yeah. actual number of Prodigy customers at the time was uh, 65,000.
0: Yeah, so they remember they're aiming for a, a customer base that they have estimated to be 9 million people. And they land 65,000 thousand. That is brutal. I mean that's such a tiny percentage. Um and then Prodigy launched in New York City, but it only had partial coverage in in the city. Uh, they had the uh, 13 markets in New York City. But that meant that they had left out about 70% of the population of New York City who had the who had uh, the
1: technology to connect.
0: Right. They had the ability, but they didn't have the actual support. So they could not be members of Prodigy. At that time, so they weren't able to to capitalize on that very, at, at least not efficiently. Uh, uh,
1: however, by 1990, Prodigy did become available across the United States. I believe 1990 is when I got Prodigy uh, up near Clevelandish.
0: Yeah, see, I was already living not in Atlanta, but close enough to Atlanta where I got the the support. And uh, by the end of that year, their numbers had exploded, almost tenfold, really. We're talking from 65,000 to 635,000. So, But now, granted, they managed to go nationwide now. So now you're talking about the entire U.S., not just these little regions that they had been uh, hitting previously, but still only 635,000. And uh, that put them in second place. Uh, The first place provider was CompuServe. Um, which we could also do an episode about CompuServe at some point. But CompuServe would eventually be acquired from H&R Block. Who which owned was the, them at the time. Yeah, they were the, right? were the owners at the time. The, the new owners would be America Online. And, of course, America Online uh, ends up being the big daddy of the online service providers and probably made, I would say, I would argue that it made the most effective transition from online service provider to Internet, internet. service provider. Right. Uh, the two things are different.
1: Yeah, I have seen estimates, by the way, that about 25 million households now held computers.
0: Wow. So, yeah, huge numbers that are jumping up here, right? We went from 5 million to 9 million and 9 million to 25 million. So... And you might be wondering, like, how how is this even happening? This is Moore's law in play, right? Moore's law is not just about how computers get twice as powerful every two years or so. It's also about how because the processes get more sophisticated over time, the technology itself decreases in price and cost. So, more people can afford it. So not only are they becoming more powerful, they're becoming more affordable. So you're seeing higher adoption rates.
1: this in particular was it was a giant boom time,
0: yeah, yeah. this is and and you know, this is also ten years before we see the the dot com bubble. and uh, so this is right when the just the promise of the computer age was really becoming realized. and mm-hmm. still before the internet is a common household term, right. Sure. You know we don't see the world wide web even start to emerge until 92. And we're we're just in 1990 right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, big, big news for Prodigy that year was they added an encyclopedia and uh, Zagat's Guide.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting also that uh, even though we're seeing this explosion at this time of adoption, uh, the analysts were looking at it and saying, well, you know, Uh, you've got more subscribers, but you spent so much money setting up this, this company, perhaps as much as a billion dollars by this time, that it's going to take you years for you to become profitable. Even
1: break even. And I love,
0: I love how in my notes, I don't know what what I was thinking in my notes, but I said a dramatic increase in survivors. So <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I had some sort of horror movie going on in my brain. I meant customers.
1: You, you are you are going to go be a zombie on stage. That, after is, true. This. that so is true. Maybe that's,
0: I, that is true. That's that I, I do have I do have to be a zombie in, uh in approximately four hours. So are you
1: allowed to be a zombie on Talk Like a Pirate Day? Is that I mean, legally, well, it, we're only recording squidgy.
0: on Talk Like a Pirate Day. And I promised Lauren that I was not going to torture her on Talk Like a Pirate Day, particularly since by the time this publishes, Talk Like long a Pirate Day will over. be long in the past. So uh, you guys are going to be spared both the zombie and the pirate. Uh, at any rate, uh, the survivors would, be, <laughs> would still not uh, end up giving enough money, generating enough revenue for the company to be profitable uh, for several years. Hey guys, Jonathan from 2020 here, interrupting the classic episode because it is time for us to take a quick break. In 1991, Prodigy did something that was incredibly controversial within the Prodigy community.
1: Yeah, they started introducing these censorship rules. Yeah. So. Which, I mean, I, mean, I guess it's not censorship if it's not on a governmental yeah, they,
0: level. We we use censorship as, as sort of a the kind of shorthand way of saying. Essentially, what they were saying was that they didn't want to have any sort of profanity or objectionable material on the Prodigy service because they wanted it to be family friendly. Right. So uh, now keep in mind, some of the stuff that was going on on Prodigy included these bulletin board systems where you could create messages, leave messages, respond to messages. They, they almost became like a message board. Sure.
1: And I don't know if you guys have ever been on the Internet, um, <laughs> but sometimes people on this sort of thing can get a little bit profane. Uh, flame wars can break out.
0: Yeah, they can uh, they can start throwing in some um, personal attacks uh, yeah. They can use some language that is, as the pirates would say, salty. Uh, they so,
1: so, yeah, so for, first profanity was outlawed, then flame wars were outlawed, then the mention of another user's handle. Yeah, you weren't supposed to use
0: any sort of member names. In fact, I read one report that said that uh, one group got very much frustrated because it was a group of coin collectors. And they had a uh, a, a thread about the Roosevelt dime. And because and, they were collectors who were interested in Roosevelt dimes, but but one member had the handle Roosevelt dime, which meant that they could not actually write about it because wow. it was a member handle. Yeah. So these were these I were if that's issues. How
1: Leetspeak got started? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I'm, handles certainly had played a role <laughs> in it, but yeah, you, you see at this time that the users were really starting to get. Uh, aggravated by these policies, they felt that it was unnecessary and that it was hampering their ability to communicate. It was taking functionality away from the service that they were paying for.
1: Right. And uh, and however, it was only on those those bulletin boards. So a lot of traffic started shifting to email.
0: Right. So people were using the email service on Prodigy, which uh, at this time was still uh, still very much uh, restricted to Prodigy. It's not like you were emailing outside. So imagine that your school or your the business you work at, that you have email, but you are only able to email anyone else who is also on that Within, particular server, hmm. right? So you could not email someone who works for another company or goes to another school. You could only, only other people who are there are the ones that you could send messages to. That's kind of what we're talking about at this time.
1: I mean, however, it wasn't like there were other services that had had it much better.
0: Right, right. You know, until we see the interconnectivity to the Internet, it just doesn't really, uh, you don't get the the expanded uh, capabilities. Although, again, in commercial business, that had already happened. There were businesses that had email oh, right. where sure. you could send it to people other than the ones that were on your email mm-hmm. server.
1: But consumer level.
0: Yeah. yeah, consumer level is still pretty much a novelty. Um, now, I will also say that this is when Prodigy changed one of its other email um, policies, but I'll talk about that when we get into the services that they provide. It was, it was in response to the fact that everyone started using more email. Uh, See, so you also have to keep in mind that the data that is being sent back and forth, while it's, t- it tends to be in small packets. Once you get up, you know, you, you have those numbers increase. Data transfer wasn't free, you know, mm-hmm. but sending information across telephone company lines cost money, and it cost Prodigy money. And in fact, that was one of the biggest problems that Prodigy had was that their, their costs were much greater than the revenue they were bringing in. So if they were to offer up something that originally was free, as in it was part of what your paid service already covered, and everyone started using it, then they would start incurring greater costs as a result. So that would end up giving them the incentive to make it less free. In other words, you would have to pay an extra surcharge on top of your monthly fee in order to use certain services Mm -hmm. because that's the only way that Prodigy could either uh, put a little bit of a a control on the traffic – you know, it would decrease the traffic because people didn't want to pay for it, right? Or they could recapture costs if people really wanted it and they would pay for it anyway,
1: right? That was also well. In 1992, they increased their monthly subscription fee to 14.95. Yeah, and they also in response to that,
0: they also had more subscribers by then too, right?
1: Yeah, uh, 1.75 million.
0: Yeah, so that's you know they're they're on the on the rise. Now keep in mind that by now we're talking about millions and millions of computers capable of running Prodigy, but And Uh,
1: Prodigy was still losing money at this time. Yeah,
0: they still were not making a profit. In fact, uh, Walter Mossberg and anyone who has followed technology for any length of time has heard that name. Walter Mossberg has written extensively about technology companies over the past couple of decades, criticized Prodigy, saying it lacked many features and that it was really kind of difficult to use. It was slow and it wasn't necessarily intuitive. That, you know, while it might be easier to use than, say, an old bulletin board system where you'd had to, you know, type through text commands to, to navigate through it, it still didn't make a whole lot of intuitive sense, according to Mossberg. And that didn't do Prodigy very many favors. <laughs> uh, moving on to 93, that's when Prodigy incorporated a new feature in its software, which was internet connectivity. Now, they weren't Giving you the ne- necessarily giving you the access to a, a web browser, you could get a web browser and use Prodigy to connect to the internet, but there wasn't uh, one incorporated directly into Prodigy at that time. So they're really still just an online service provider. However, what it did allow you to do is use email to send messages to to, to people yeah, sources, yeah. Right. people who were not on the Prodigy island. And that year, the company we actually start having figures now for how much money the company was losing. Keep in mind, during this time, Prodigy is a privately uh, run business. It's not it's not its own publicly traded company. It's a partnership between IBM and Sears, but it's not itself a publicly traded company. So it doesn't have to uh, file all of its corporate uh, finances with the government. Or well, it does, but not with the public. Right. Like we don't have access to it. The government certainly did. Because otherwise the IRS gets a little antsy. But uh the company that year, according to uh to some sources, lost about sixty million dollars. So a sixty million dollar loss so, is yeah, pretty not tough. not
1: only not profitable, but ouch.
0: Yeah, this this figure comes from Funding Universe, and I gotta give them a shout-out because they have a great uh summary of Prodigy's history. And I I I've managed to find a lot of my research from Funding Universe. Uh, so 1994—that's when Prodigy hits its customer base peak
1: of about it? two million.
0: Yeah, now that's that's its peak based upon its own customers uh, during the heyday of Prodigy. There is something that will change dramatically change Prodigy late in its life that that blows that number out of the water.
1: But, oh, by far. But, but you can't
0: really count it because it's because almost... it's not
1: customers that Prodigy themselves. Yeah. Right,
0: um, right. It was almost like Prodigy was thrust upon them as opposed yeah. to as opposed to they came <laughs> to Prodigy. Right? right. But we'll talk about that when we get there. So uh, two million customers. So obviously they never really hit that that promised five million that they really wanted to get. Uh, and they
1: I, also expanded, um, in October, uh, yep. I think you were about to say, yep. they, they expanded, um, to let users use Usenet, yep. using Usenet. That was a great phraseology that uh, I just used It's for almost example.
0: impossible to mm. avoid. I mean, you, that when your service's name is Usenet, it's going to happen. But yeah, Usenet is uh, another bulletin board, you know, message board kind of system where, uh, anyone who's used Usenet knows that this was, see, I told you, it's, you can't get around it. Anyone who has, uh, Taken advantage of Usenet services knows that this is some place where people it would share lots of different things: files, pictures, uh, information about different topics. A lot of uh, message boards that you will find on the internet really had their origin back in the Usenet days. Right, and uh, you could find. Uh, Pretty much any interest you can imagine, there was a Usenet dedicated to it. There was a, board, a thread dedicated to see, it.
1: Thinking back, it reminds me a little bit of like Reddit these days.
0: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. it's just or just like the idea that somewhere someone has made a web page about the thing you're thinking of. Sure. Uh, the example I will give is I remember when I was working for a consulting firm years ago, I decided to or one of the consultants I was working with wanted in a particular uh, presentation to have a picture of a whammy. You know what a whammy is? No more whammies. No more whammies. So there's a game show in the 80s called Press Your Luck, maybe early 90s, called Press Your Luck. And uh, the way the game show worked was this little board would light up, and uh, the light would move from one block to the next, and you would press a, a button, and that would stop the light. And it would either land on a great prize or something called a whammy if you got too many whammies, you were out of the game. So she wanted a picture of a whammy, and I thought, surely someone... This Keep in mind, this is in the 90s when I'm saying this. So surely someone's made a web page about whammies, and I did a search, and sure enough, I found five, (laughs) which just goes to show that if you can think about it, someone's made a web page about it.
1: Yes. So so, so this was for an additional fee. That was for $3.60 per hour, uh, because it was so information, so so data intensive.
0: Well, yeah, it it took up telephone lines, again, so... The fact that it was uh, requiring Prodigy to have these lines open and thus they had to pay for them, they ended up putting $3.60 per hour as the surcharge. Uh, they also introduced chat rooms that year and they introduced them free of charge
1: which as it turns out was a terrible idea Yeah
0: from a business perspective it was a terrible idea because every from a customer perspective it was Just a brilliant great. idea. Oh of course and now I can communicate with people in real time in chat rooms with lots of other people all at the same time but for prodigy there were two big problems.
1: Oh that's also really data intensive yeah and also people
0: uh, will say the darndest things when they get together. Uh, and so the telecommunications charges went through the roof and the content was something that Prodigy could not control. They couldn't censor that the way they could, the bulletin board messages or the other services. In fact, there was a time where there was even a a rumor that they were uh, looking at emails, although they never were, but the rumor broke out that they were. Sure. So, uh, they ended up shutting down the chat rooms, uh, eventually because of the, the rising cost of operating them and the fact that they could not be certain that people would behave themselves in the chat rooms according to Prodigy's idea of how people should behave themselves the company that year lost 52 million so although it lost a lot of money it was less money than it lost the year before yay i guess um that brings us up to uh 95 right so uh, oh 95 that's when that's when rock and roll found prodigy.
1: <laughs> um, the uh, former head of VH1, or one of the former heads of VH1, Edward Bennett, who had really turned the company around.
0: Yeah, had really turned VH1 from a, a struggling uh, channel into a success.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, pop-up
0: video must have been one of those things that was just came out of that that era he
1: he joined he joined prodigy as the new ceo
0: yep and that same year they launched a web browser prodigy branded web browser so you would uh, go into your prodigy account and then you could access the World Wide web uh and in 95 it was still uh, still pretty much a wild west kind of uh, territory uh, although it was certainly getting larger adoption by then the customers also could uh well they they now accounted for about let's see, I think there's one million of them, mm-hmm. so the numbers so actually fewer, dropped
1: fewer than before, yep. but the company claimed that it was on track to becoming profitable, right, which it's, it had been claiming for the past ten years right,
0: right, but they're they're saying no, we really mean it now we are we are on the road to becoming a profitable business. Uh, they lost thirty four point six million dollars in that year, but so again, still
1: way less yeah. than the previous two years. Right, it went I mean s- half of you know, yeah, a half couple from of years two ago. years ago,
0: yeah. So so they're losing less money year over year, which means that in a way you could say they're on the road to being profitable, assuming they can continue that trend. That trend.
1: Uh, however, in nineteen ninety six, IBM and Sears basically bailed.
0: Yeah, they said uh you know what, guys? It's been fun, but it's also been uh, holy heck on our wallets.
1: Right, because I mean, they you know definitely over a billion dollars in investment spent at that point, and and and
0: loss in revenue. The fact that they were losing money year over year meant that that one billion was just a starting point.
1: Right, they had to keep
0: the company afloat during these years too.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So they so they wound up selling Prodigy Services Company to uh, to a company called International Wireless. Incorporated, uh, the, the the new management team was still led by Edward Bennett. Yep. But
0: but yeah, they they had some. Uh, they cleared some house. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. In, in order to get it ready for the sale, I think that they they dropped seventeen percent of their workforce. Yeah,
0: yeah. It was one of those uh, strategies that companies sometimes use in order to make them look better than than uh, how they're operating. They they lower operating costs. Sure, sure. One way to lower operating costs is get rid of some of those pesky salaries.
1: Yeah. I mean, the it, you know either way, the sale was for seventy eight point two million, which is embarrassing.
0: Yeah, when you look at, at over a billion dollars in investments over the years, plus however much was needed to keep the company afloat, selling it for seventy eight point two million is really cutting your losses. Uh, whether or not that's the biggest, uh, he, you know, biggest uh, uh, dump as far as it goes, no, there are other ones that are even worse. I mean, you can argue like things like MySpace, and uh, and there are other properties that had really dramatic investments and then a huge drop off. But it's it's definitely up there. So uh, the new strategy that the company has is to really kind of branch out to still offer the online service provider provider services that it had. So in other words, you know, this would still be something that you would log into and you would have your curated content Mm -hmm. uh, and you could then also access some Internet uh, functionality
1: uh, that was packaged under the name Prodigy Classic.
0: Right. Or you could actually use Prodigy as an internet service provider. And this would be the company that would give you the access to the internet so you could browse the internet, send email, all the kind of stuff that we do all the time. And, uh, that one, that, that service had an interesting name. So you had Prodigy Classic and then the internet service provider branch was called Prodigy Internet. Okay, I lied really, about the Really really creative part. marketing
1: forces yeah. here. Uh the company that year had also changed its name to Prodigy Incorporated.
0: Yeah, yep. So now it's Prodigy Inc. Mm-hmm. And uh they changed the subscription package now. It was no longer uh fourteen ninety five. It was, uh, For
1: either service, uh it was now nineteen ninety five.
0: Yeah, you had to Ha- spend 1995. Whether it was Prodigy Classic or Prodigy Internet, didn't matter which. Uh, and that year, the company lost 90.8 million dollars. Yeah, and, so, uh, I mean,
1: you know, keep in mind the the overall market. AOL had been adding some 300 thousand subscribers per month, um, and had in fact declined to take over Prodigy. Yeah, they they supposedly visited the premises at some point and went. You know, we're doing okay.
0: Yeah, they, no they, thanks. Went, they went to White Plains, New York, which is right. where uh, Prodigy was uh, headquartered.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Microsoft Network, which had been online for less than a year, had already surpassed Prodigy and subscribers. Yeah. So this is
0: one of those things where uh, and we'll talk a little bit, I guess, at, toward the end about what we think kind of went wrong with Prodigy. I, I can at least speak to that a little bit. But uh, it, it became pretty clear in hindsight that Prodigy made some poor choices. John from 2020 here again. We're going to take another quick break, but we'll be right back. All right. So we left off in 1996. So logically, we should then move on to 1997.
1: Crazy talk. That was when Prodigy split into three divisions.
0: Yep. So uh, you had two divisions that looked at the core services. One of them was specifically focused on domestic and one on international. But you had a third division division as well. Right. That one was all about software development. So that was about building a new functionality and improving the existing functionality of the prodigy service. That was all that it was which toward. they were
1: doing. Uh, they, they had around as uh, the similar time launched a supposedly the first bulletin board archive, which was essentially a search engine. And that was kind of a new crazy thing within the bulletin board messaging board. World.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We had some early search engines in those nineties. Gosh, I remember things like Webcrawler. But uh this is, you know, this is right when companies like Google are just starting to bloom. They're Mm -hmm. not even really on the the horizon yet for most people. So it was certainly something that was still seen as very much innovative. Um as for the international uh uh efforts on part of Prodigy. We mentioned earlier that Europe was very much saturated with online service providers and Internet service providers mm-hmm. of their own. So Prodigy really didn't see like there was a, a great inroad into the They basically European never market. even
1: went there. They were just like, you know, never yeah.
0: mind. So they started looking at other markets uh, and mainly at that time it was Africa and China. Uh, they also started to make some uh, impact in Mexico, and in fact, right, that would become which more be, important become later. Become very important, yeah. right? Um, they had around uh, well in '97 they estimated that they needed about 1.5 million customers in order to break even. Uh, they did not have 1.5 million customers in '97. They
1: had about 613,000. Yeah, yeah. Uh, compared to AOL's like eight million.
0: Right, and and that 613,000 they actually had. More customers than that, but 613,000 were the billable right. customers. Because, right. you know, they might have joined the service, but they were in that, that free free period, mm. so they weren't being uh, billed for that.
1: Actually, that was the year that FTC, the, the, the Federal Trade Commission, charged Prodigy, CompuServe, and AOL with all having made unclear free trial offers that didn't sufficiently warn their customers about being automatically billed at the end of the trial period.
0: Excellent. I actually saw that lawsuit. Like, I, I had the information up on my page I I felt like I didn't have enough time to read it. So I'm glad you did, because I was <laughs> like, there's something legal happened in 97. Moving on. Uh, so how much money did the company lose in
1: 1997? 132.78 million. Wow. Wow.
0: So... Keep in mind, just a few years earlier, it was it was back in uh, 1995 when they thought that they were on the road to profitability. That's when they lost thirty four million dollars back in ninety five. And then just two years later, they lose one hundred thirty two million, almost one hundred thirty three million dollars. Uh, clearly things were not moving in the same direction as they had perceived back in 95. And
1: certainly not where they were hoping, no.
0: Right. So, uh, now granted, there were a lot of things going on in the market at that time, including this increased competition from the, uh, other rivals in the space. Uh, and, and so in 1998, the company decides to do something really dramatic, something that they had only done a couple of times before.
1: They was their 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 name changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They changed to Prodigy Communications Corporation.
0: Right. So then they also uh decided to lower the monthly fee. So Back
1: they, to about fifteen, fifteen bucks, fifteen seventy-five.
0: Yep. And they promised a new digital service that would uh be specifically geared for the brand new blisteringly fast fifty-six K modems. Woo! Yeah. I I remember having a twenty four hundred you know, kilobyte modem. So. I I
1: think in that time I actually did think that 56k was blisteringly fast. I think I still had a 14.4 at the time. Yeah. So
0: So I essentially 2.4 is what mine was. Oh, man. Yeah. You would, you would just hope that whatever link, whatever thing you were looking at was just text. Because if there was anything other than text, you were going to be there for a good couple of hours. I can tell
1: you my X-Files fan pages loaded very slowly. Mm. Um,
0: well, the truth was out there. <laughs> uh, so the new service was supposed to be much faster. The, the f- 56K optimized service was supposed to be faster and have more rich content than the older services. Now, remember we said that the older services services had graphics, but these graphics were akin to what you might see in an old clip art Folder. Right. They weren't, they weren't like photo, uh, realistic pictures or anything along those lines. And when you see the commercial, you'll understand what I, what I mean. Because that beefeater. It's
1: pretty gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's, my, my favorite thing is the reaction of the old man when he sees the, the page load up about England. And it's a little cartoon of a beefeater. And he's like, wow. (laughs) How easily we were impressed back in those days. It's
1: like, you know, yeah, like, like, Pixel art on the level of that, like Diesel Sweeties, makes fun of these days. So, right. Yeah. So uh,
0: at this time, the company was still maintaining two different services: Prodigy Classic and Prodigy Internet. Uh, and combined, those two services had eight hundred thirty thousand customers, only six hundred seventy-one thousand of which were considered billable customers. So the company lost money yet again, but less than they had the year previous. Less
1: than half, only 65.8 million, 0.08 million. Yeah, sorry.
0: yeah, it's yeah. tiny compared to the 132. So, yeah, uh, good. <laughs> I mean, at least, At least it was a, a reverse in the trend because they had been losing more and more money each year.
1: Yes. Um, um, so the next year they launched an IPO. Because why
0: wouldn't you? Well, if you've I, I been losing money year over year. And
1: <laughs> I think I think that was one of those desperate bids to avoid bankruptcy kind of kind of IPOs. Right. I mean, because there's two kinds of IPOs. There's the kind that you're like, wow, we're so excited. And we think that everyone's going to give us even more money to do these wonderful things. And there's oh, crap. Oh, crap. I need <laughs> my car. Yeah. Don't uh, take my car. Please,
0: please put money in us because we promise we are going to be much more profitable very, very soon. We
1: promise we're going to sell it to a sucker very, very right. soon. Exactly.
0: <laughs> that, that may also be the case. Like, we'll, we'll we'll only be publicly tradable shortly, and then we'll we'll, we'll uh, endure a, a hostile takeover, which will actually be just a takeover because we'll be like, please take over.
1: Yes. Uh, but um, they raised about $160 million out of that.
0: Yeah. So they did raise money. Uh, the stock's share price originally was $15. Uh, from what I understand, according to Funding Universe, the highest point of the stock price in 1999 ended up being about $50 per share. Uh, but that was a time where the investment companies were very much excited about technology companies, you know, right. 99. We're talking about this is also that was another
1: big boom time.
0: Yeah, this is the cusp. This is before this is while the dot com bubble is inflating. Right. So mm-hmm. 99. This is when we all, were all believing that the Internet was going to be the way everyone was going to do business from that point forward, that that the brick and mortar stores were going to die out almost mm-hmm. immediately. This is how everything's going to work. We just have to make sure that we've got the business plan in place that makes it all magically happen.
1: And I, I apologize for this age reference, Jonathan, but uh, but this was right before I graduated from high school. And <laughs>
0: I've been married for two years.
1: And and it was right about that time that all of my friends were going like we are going to make our fortunes doing this Internet thing.
0: Yeah. So obviously that's one of those. If you're a company that offers access to this magical world called the Internet, you're in a good position. So they did do pretty well with that IPO and the subsequent year of investment, but uh, not so well that they were actually able to generate a lot of revenue from this. Um they would eventually, by the end of 99, lose $80.49 million. So again, it's gone up since the last time. Uh, but they also would undergo kind of a change as well. Because with this IPO, it allowed a company called Carso Global Telecom, S.A. de C.V., it's a Mexican company, to end up with 60% ownership of Prodigy. Uh, so this was... Uh, One of those companies, that ended up investing in in Prodigy when they started making those inroads into Mexico. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Prodigy to this day is very important in Mexico. But we'll get into that. So Mm -hmm. uh, Prodigy launched a bilingual ISP service in the United States.
1: And also entered a joint venture into Mexico's largest ISP, which was called Telmex.
0: Yep. And uh, at that time, the company also went ahead and sold off its African assets, those those regional areas in Africa that it had been supporting, for only two point eight one million dollars. But later in nineteen ninety nine, Prodigy acquired a company called Flashnet Communications, which was a, a rival ISP and OSP, for one hundred thirteen million dollars.
1: Uh, that did add two hundred and fifty thousand customers to their base.
0: Yep. So now they've uh, they've almost artificially added more customers, uh, in a way, because they ended up acquiring all the ones that had belonged to FlashNet. And then Prodigy and SBC Communications Incorporated, which is a telephone company, announced plans for a limited partnership. And uh, that partnership would make Prodigy the exclusive ISP for SBC consumers. So you know when I said earlier about how $2 million was kind of the peak for Prodigy. This is where the caveat comes in because, right, because
1: SBC had something like 77 million,
0: 77 million high speed Internet customers, which meant that because this agreement made Prodigy the the exclusive provider, it, it it boosted Prodigy's numbers to an insane amount. But that's the thing is that these were not people who were subscribing directly to Prodigy.
1: Well, they, you know, it's they were because they had to, but. They were subscribing to SBC. Right. And
0: so it wasn't generating the revenue directly through Prodigy the way the way. Because right. Prodigy also made money through advertising. They would put ads on their pages, usually one ad mm-hmm. per page. So it's not like you would have tons of ads on everything. Uh, so they would generate some revenue that way. So that that was also you know a method of making some money besides just direct subscriptions. Anyway, uh that was also the year where Prodigy was shut down temporarily uh, on purpose. Internally, they shut down They or they turned off the lights, as some people have said, because there was something going on in 99 that a lot of people just uh, I mean, you've heard the phrase, but you probably forgotten all about it.
1: That whole Y2K thing.
0: Yeah. Back when we thought the world was going to end because
1: all computers had only been programmed to
0: run up through we're through, through 1999. Mm-hmm. No one had bothered to, well, Add essentially they, digits, they had right. used, they had only programmed the date for the year as two, two digits. digits right. right, so computers would read 99 as 1999, and then everyone thought, wait a minute, what happens when they hit zero, 00 for 2000? Uh, does that mean the computers are just going to assume it's 1900 because it's going to reset to that value? It doesn't understand that there is another year here. And if that happens, how is this going to affect everything else? And so you had people saying, well, you're probably going to have some interruptions in services, but that's about as bad as it's going to be. And then you had the other side of the spectrum where they said all of the world shall end. The financial markets shall crash. It will uh,
1: basically be – I know that Fight Club hasn't – did Fight Club come out that year? I know that Fight Club wasn't a big thing at that point, but uh, but but like basically the end of Fight Club. I,
0: I would just say like dogs and cats living together, mass, mass hysteria. hysteria. Yeah, yeah. So that that's essentially what we we're looking at. In fact, uh, and and it was one of those things where even I at the time I was not working at how stuff works at the time. But even I at the time was thinking, where do I want to be? when 1999 becomes 2000 and i decided to go to a very flamboyant club in athens and it was fabulous <laughs> cuz i figured if if the world is going to end i wanted to end with some amazing music
1: that's that's entirely fair um y2k was also the re- they they retired prodigy classic that year yeah. and they cited y2k as one of the reasons along with other architecture problems that you know it it was not really a system that was intended to go along with all of these new crazy innovations,
0: right? So they were really kind like of taking DSL. taking a, a similar model to America Online, where where the Prodigy service would launch you into a portal page, where there then you could go and do whatever it was you wanted to do. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they wanted to kind of get away from having to support this this legacy system of Prodigy Classic, because it was becoming less and less relevant, and it required a, a diversion of revenue. It required a diversion of, of uh, assets, I should say.
1: Right, sure. It still affected some um, 208,000 subscribers, which Prodigy tried to move to um, to their Internet service with, with middling success.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you've ever worked with someone who is very much used to a particular type of system, and then watched as they tried to navigate a new system you can see how quickly they can become frustrated and disenchanted
1: they actually they actually provided a new homepage like a, like a different port for the classic customers who were moving to internet that looked more like the original classic port
0: to help lessen the blow help the, the transition yeah. yeah i think about every time anyone upgrades their operating system
1: or even when facebook changes i mean you know oh, the internet riots
0: yeah no no um, my favorite thing to post at that is uh, the new Facebook changes are the worst thing to happen since the last Facebook changes. <laughs> because that's how it always seems like. At any rate, getting back on to Prodigy, in 2000, uh, SBC, the company we talked about, the telephone company, purchased a 43% interest in Prodigy. And earlier, Prodigy had been looking at possibly merging with Earthlink and Mindspring, which would have been a very interesting outcome because all of these companies had sort of been suffering uh, against the onslaught that was America Online, mm-hmm. um, and SBC would essentially end up with controlling interest uh, in Prodigy
1: within the next year. Or yeah. So they, they they bought controlling interest. So.
0: Right. So moving ahead to 2002, SBC formed another strategic alliance. This time with a little company called Yahoo. Yahoo. Yeah. So th- 2002. This is this is back when Yahoo was was doing some serious business. Right. I mean, this was not the era where we all were wondering what Yahoo was going to be able to do to turn things around. This is when Yahoo was really on the rise. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Alliance ended up creating a new kind of Yahoo portal. So if you've been to, like if you ever visited Yahoo back in this time, you remember that there was one of these things where you would get news and sports. and It's very similar to what you see today, although today it's much more of a sophisticated layout than it was back in the day. So this was sort of taking taking a cue off those old online service providers, which had this curated content that mm-hmm. everyone liked so much. So that's when we see uh, Prodigy sort of start to fade away. And in fact, SBC stopped allowing new Prodigy accounts in 2002. They did let people who were hardcore fans of Prodigy retain their Prodigy.net email
1: addresses, which people still retain today.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's almost like a badge of honor. It's like, I was there. It's Um, like a concert T-shirt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But eventually it would get to a point where if you were to try to go to prodigy.net, it would lead to uh, a myatt.net page until around 2009.
1: And after that, you'd just get an error.
0: Yeah. So now these days, if you go to prodigy.net... or at least as of the recording of this podcast, if you go to prodigy.net, you get an error message. By the time this comes out, maybe they've actually figured out some way of resuscitating the brand. So really, a few years later, it becomes rumor that, uh, that that SBC was looking at actually selling the brand name Prodigy to someone else who would wanna whoever would want to use it.
1: Right around 2005, there was a big push. Um, they there there were a lot of rumors floating around that they were trying.
0: Yeah, but, but no one no one's purchased it. Right now, we will say that Prodigy Internet still is a thing. There is a Prodigy Internet. It is in Mexico and it's the largest ISP in Mexico. Right. So it's not that Prodigy has completely disappeared, but in the United States, it's pretty much a non factor these mm-hmm. days. Uh, so, let's talk a little bit about some of the services they would provide. We've mentioned a few of them already, uh, in that this idea of curated content. We talked about the bulletin boards. Um, also, early on, they did not allow file downloads. It was really, the idea was that you were consuming content, but not producing it or sharing it.
1: Right, right, you, yeah.
0: But, uh, but later, they would allow file downloads, although they would uh, look at those as well to make sure that they met the standards that they had set for everywhere else on Prodigy in uh, electronic mail. Uh, back in '91, we talked about how uh, they ended up seeing a, a big surge in electronic mail use because due to of their the, censorship of the 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 censorship. bulletin
1: boards. And so, in response, what did they do? They decided that, uh, well, you know, this
0: huge amount of electronic mail is putting a, a, a taxation upon our, our uh, transaction fees with the telephone company. So let's pass that along to the consumer. Every month, you'll get 30 messages for free. And if you want to send more than that... You need to spend money. It costs money to have more than 30 messages in a month. And so that was sort of the response to this surge in email use. And again, that did not make users happy, because first they censored the bulletin boards and other messaging systems.
1: And then they made it harder to send email. Yeah, so... are more expensive, it, anyway. It,
0: that, that, some people would argue that ended up being a major reason why Prodigy ended up failing, was because they had a lot of consumer-unfriendly practices even though their original, uh, model, this idea of a flat fee and you get access to almost everything was very attractive, the way that they were, uh, creating policies was so against what the average consumer wanted that it ended up making, it ended up alienating their, their c- customer base. So then you get to, uh, the, the news, again, the curated news, you get to, uh, travel. You can make travel arrangements on Prodigy. Uh, they had specific uh, partnership with American airlines so you could make a reservation on American airlines through prodigy this again before the internet this or mm-hmm. before we had access to the Internet. This right, is all right, right. online service provider stuff. Yeah, it's
1: not like you could just go to AmericanAirlines.com yeah, and do whatever you want to yeah, do. This,
0: this precedes that. Uh,
1: Trivelocity did not exist.
0: They could also you could also make hotel and car rental reservations through that same system. Although keep in mind, again, this is through partnerships that they, Prodigy had made with specific companies. It's not like you had access to everybody.
1: Oh, right, right. You, you wrote in your in your notes that it was like going to a mall, like not every mall is going to have the stores that you want. It's going to be, you know, whatever's Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah, so you and that's to, just
0: what you deal with. Exactly right. If it, if that store wasn't in that mall, you had to go to a different mall. Well, same sort of thing. If if you could not get access to a particular vendor through Prodigy, then that meant that uh, well, you have the wrong online service provider for your needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, same same thing applies to the shopping. Obviously, Sears clearly being a f- founding partner, Sears merchandise had heavy representation Mm -hmm. in online shopping on prodigy and around well more than 40 other uh, direct Mail marketing kind of vendors, like mm-hmm. any company that would other sell. other
1: places that had large catalog,
0: yeah, sort of yeah, deals. Yeah, that whole the whole like we will mail you our stuff because this is still you know this isn't a time where this that was not the most common method of delivering stuff, right? Usually, you would have this retail experience where you go into a store. So, direct to customer was something that only a few vendors op- offered at that point. Uh, you could also do banking. Uh, the banking was through New York's Manufacturers Hanover Trust Bank. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't with that one, too bad. <laughs>
1: and stocks.
0: Yep, yep. That was through uh, Donaldson, Lufkin, and Ginrette, which was a Wall Street company uh, that would handle the, the stock purchases. So you could become a day trader if you wanted to. Um,
1: uh, early, early on, they did groceries. They did online groceries. But I think that the price and availability of, of service was just so.
0: Yeah, there, there was very low adoption. And also, it just costs a lot of money to run that kind of operation. Now, I will say I never used Prodigy's grocery shopping service, but I've used other online grocery shopping services back when they were more common, like Webvan would mm-hmm. be the I think that's even Webvan was the one I used and I loved it. But it again was one of those things where I just could imagine exact, it had to be phenomenally expensive to operate. And unless you have a huge customer base right out of the gate, you're going to be operating at a loss for several years, kind of like Prodigy. And then later on, when it became, uh, when it started to do the Prodigy internet services, it began to offer things like uh, curated content online so you would go to your little online portal and that's where you'd see things like sports business news mm-hmm. you know world news that kind of stuff kind of like yahoo does sure um,
1: they also did have uh, have news writers they had yes. they had a they had a editorial team
0: the dedicated editorial staff that worked out of white plains new york so they had editors and writers working specifically to write content just for prodigy users mm-hmm. so it's the same sort of stories you would see in other sources like if you were to get a newspaper but it was written specifically for the for prodigy, prodigy. Audience. right yeah and then they also had instant messaging um, like they said they had chat rooms for a little while and then they had things like Financial tools like portfolio management and personal finance tracking, so you could follow how your your finances were doing over time. Like in 1999, when you see all your .dot com uh, stocks on like a meteoric rise, and you think I am going to be the world's next multi billionaire. And 2001, when you think, uh, where where's my change jar? <laughs> I want to go to McDonald's.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I, you know, I, I, I do think that in a lot of ways it was ahead of its time. Um, oh yeah. I, I think that if Prodigy had come out in that wave that AOL did just a couple of years later, um, that the technology would have been such that they would have had greater adoption. But but some of those I mean, I hate to use the word draconian for an Internet service provider. But, right. But who but who reads their bulletin board content and makes sure that I mean, that's that's Prodigy. ludicrous to me. Prodigy yeah, does. right.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, I would say that those decisions were what stood in Prodigy's way from becoming like the dominant OSP was that it wasn't that the service they provided was bad. A lot of it was good. But they were not prepared for the initial costs that they incurred as they began. Um, They weren't prepared to endure that for as long as it was necessary for them to build up the customer base. They made decisions that upset customers, including not just the 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 censorship or however you want to word it not just that policy and not just the policy of uh charging more for email but they started to do surcharges on other features as well so not all features were not free, free cuz you subscribed. But, with, but, but free
1: with with subscription right yeah. not
0: all of them were free with subscription some of them you would have to pay on top of your subscription fee yeah and these were things where people were saying well yeah you you build this as I pay one monthly fee, and then I have access to all these amazing things. But in truth, I pay one monthly fee, and then I have the opportunity to buy more stuff.
1: All of these services that I kind of want to use. and ugh. Yeah, yeah, so
0: it may very well be that their business plan, perhaps they had just priced themselves too low at the very beginning. And they maybe if they had gone with a slightly higher subscription fee at the very beginning... Uh, it could have offset some of the costs they incurred when they started offering up these services. And maybe then they could have kept those services free with the subscription. Right. And then they, they might, it might be a totally different story today. Maybe today we wouldn't be talking about AOL, you Mm -hmm. know, like we wouldn't say that AOL was, had become the, you know, this, this name that we still know. Maybe we'd be talking about Prodigy. Maybe all of us would be talking about how many CDs we have. That we accumulated over the years as Prodigy, prodigy. emailed CD after CD after CD <laughs> of of the basic kit, so that you can install it.
1: Yeah, an analyst named Richard Adler, I found this quote in a, I believe a New York Times piece from 1990, said somebody is going to make a lot of money in this business someday. I just don't know if it's going to be Prodigy.
0: Yeah, and he was right. Yeah, some lots of people made lots of money in this. Oh, it's of just course. That, you know, this was this was unfortunately not the story for that. But I thought it was an interesting one. Uh, Lauren and I both use Prodigy. So Mm -hmm. we're both Prodigy kids. Uh, we're both prodigies, really. I mean, (laughs) we don't want to toot our own horn or anything. It's just true. Uh, so, you know, no false modesty on this show. At any rate, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. And like I said, we'll probably talk about other ones in the future. Maybe we'll have an episode where we talk about CompuServe or maybe one about MindSpring. Uh, these are other interesting uh, internet companies and kind of see what formed the basis of how we think of the internet today right and uh, which ones are still around and which ones are just a a name that we associate with a footnote in history yeah time's gone by stuff you missed in history class would probably cover these too if they looked at more recent history there are not a whole lot of online service providers in the days of the vikings and that wraps up this classic episode of tech stuff hope you guys enjoyed it if you have any suggestions for future topics that I should cover on the show, reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook. The handle at both of those is techstuffhsw, and I'll talk to you again really soon. TechStuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.